On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, we find ourselves in New York on Broadway, where Jessica must solve a bizarre robbery, which comes to a very surprising and shocking conclusion in one of my favorite episodes of season one. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder She Wrote starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony Award winner Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about season one, episode 11, Broadway, my lady. Air date January 13th, 1985, almost 37 years ago now. 38 years ago. I can't believe it. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes. It features the first appearance of Michael Horton on the series after appearing in the pilot movie as um, Jeff Jessica's nephew, Grady Fletcher. Um, he is back for the first time, and this will be a recurring theme throughout the show. He will get Jessica involved in things like this. And he is an accountant, so it'll take him to various jobs. And Jessica will somehow get involved in one way or another. And he has a new romantic interest. Romantic interest. Um, and that'll be a recurring theme until I think he does eventually get married. But I don't remember what season. Anyway. <laughs> in case you're wondering how I arrived at Number 11, the when Murder, She Wrote first premiered in September of 1984, it premiered as a pilot movie like so many other series before it. For some reason, when it was sold in syndication, the pilot movie was syndicated into two different parts, making it episodes one and two. This is how it's listed on IMDb, IMDb TV app, as well as NBC's Peacock app, which you can watch the episode for free on either one of those, whichever you prefer, before you listen to this episode, because I spoil everything that is a spoil about the episode, the murderer, the suspects, everything in between, can't do a murder short podcast without that, and the first official episode of Murder, She Wrote was Deadly Lady. That is episode one. You go from there, and you arrive at this number, 11. Trust me, when we get to season two, there's not going to be that much confusion, because the episodes are titled, or the episodes are numbered the right way. Because there was no pilot, you know, there was no movie to start season two, thank goodness. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes of season one because, number one, it deals with Broadway, and I love Broadway. I did theater in high school, so I have a vast knowledge in it, and I also took drama classes. I was so good in drama, I tutored people. Um, and another reason is Lorna Lunt is in this. She is Judy Garland's daughter with Sid Lunt. Judy's third husband, I believe. And uh, Judy Garland and Angela Lansbury were friends in real life. They starred together in the movie The Harvey Girls, which was about uh, these restaurants that came up in the, in the West that ended up making it not so wild, I guess. Um... Harvey House, which is which is probably not around anymore, but it's a really good movie. And if you have a subscription to HBO Max, Harvey Girls is available on there um, until the end of this month. So I would encourage you to watch it. Although I will I will give tell you this: um, Angela Lansbury played a rival to Judy Garland. 
Um, she played a saloon girl who was opposed to Judy Garland being there at Harvey House because Judy Garland originally comes because she's going to marry a man who has written her romantic letters, which turns out not to be the man whom placed the ad and she comes via train. Basically, it's the equivalent of being catfished in the 1800s. And MGM, even though Angela Lansbury at the time had proven that she could act her socks off in Gaslight and the picture of Dorian Gray getting Academy Award nominations for both of those films, she was put into this film and her voice was dubbed because it was considered not husky enough for a saloon girl, a.k.a. a prostitute. So, and also it kind of set her career back a little bit because Judy Garland was considered America's sweetheart at the time and Angela Lansbury's character was not so kind, Judy Garland's character in this movie. But they were friends in real life and... Her daughter, Lorna, has the best qualities of Judy's voice and Liza's voice combined. And if you want to listen to her voice, you should go look her up on Spotify. And you can listen to her album, Songs My Mother Taught Me. And it is amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. She has a beautiful voice. And of course, she is known for being in Greece too. A movie that is often debated amongst so many people. The songs were catchy. Interesting, in fact. But they didn't seem to belong there. And the plot was almost non-existent. Um, and if you've ever, ever, and I do mean ever wanted to know everything there is to know about Judy Garland, you should read Lorna Blunt's book, me and My Shadows, Life with Judy Garland. It explains everything you've ever wanted to know about her. And it's a great read. Okay, so I've gone off a little gone off a little subject there, but but I just I just love her. And not only do I love this episode because of the Broadway aspect, the theater aspect, and Lorna Lunt. I just love the plot of this episode. It just works. You wouldn't think that it would, but it does. It is amazing. So let's get into it. So we start off this episode um, with a beautiful, with beautiful stock footage of uh, the New York skyline with the Twin Towers in the background. And this is debated amongst a lot of people whether or not you should show that or whether or not you should erase that from movies or TV shows. And it's nice to know that one time they were there and this is 85 before 9-11 happens so it's nice to see every once in a while we go to a random new york apartment where a woman rita bristol is watching a black and white picture of herself singing a song and she is played by Vivian Blaine. And Vivian Blaine, as Rita Bristol, is watching herself. This movie is Three Little Girls in Blue, released in 1946. And as she's watching it, Patty comes into the room. Her daughter, Patty Bristol. She is, of course... Played by Lorna Lunt. She calls this moon over Pensacola or something to that effect. And uh, 
She says, oh, were we ever that young? Were we ever that naive? And she said, are you kidding, Mama? It's great. And she says, well, nobody would pay money to see him now. And then, as if on cue, the light goes out and we get introduced to her son, Barry Bristol, played by Greg Henry. A phenomenal actor who's still acting to this day and makes his first appearance of many on Murder, She Wrote. So we won't be looking at his credentials at the end of the episode like we normally do. I'll just tell you what he's known for. He says, people are going to pay money to watch you now because I've got it. You're going to be on Broadway. And so is Patty. And Patty goes, the Bristols together for the first time. And they're so happy. Rita's so happy. All of them are so happy. They hug each other. And she says, we're going to knock their shoes off. And Barry says, you mean socks. She says, those two. And they hug. And that's that. We cut to Jessica in Cabot Cove, who is at her typewriter talking to her nephew, Grady, who we got introduced to in the pilot movie. He's the one that found Jessica's manuscript and went ahead with his current love interest, Kitty Donovan, gave it to her, who gave it to Preston Giles, who owned the publishing company that she's not with anymore. Because we all know what happened there. Um, and they wanted to publish it. And thus Jessica became a best-selling mystery writer. And apparently she's still at it. Although, with this episode, I don't know how many books she's supposedly supposed to have written at this point. There's no continuity right now in this episode. Jessica's apparently going to New York to talk to her publisher and to do meetings and do the usual thing you do when you publish a new book. And Grady is like, oh, well, I can arrange you to see rehearsals and, and, oh, and guess who's doing this? Guess who's like staging a comeback? Rita Bristol. And she goes, Rita Bristol, and she goes, and he says, yeah, you know, all those Technicolor extravaganza things they used to do back then, you remember them. And it's like an inside joke, because Angela Lansbury was in some of those. And it's like, she pauses and she goes, of course I remember them. And it's almost like she's saying, because I was in them. But Jessica was never an actress. She says, but we'll see with Grady. I I don't know. And he says, everything's going well. Everybody seems to love each other in this business. In the background, Rita is practicing her number. But she ends up stopping it when she ends up running into a prop that looks like it was from Singing in the Rain. The... You know, the prop where uh, Gene Kelly dances during Singing in the Rain. It looks like that. It's probably not the same prop, but it looks like it. And she goes, now, who arranged the props so that I would kill myself? And the director gets up and he's like, look, Miss Bristol, Rita, I don't think you're giving it your all. And she goes, or not giving it your best. And she goes, young man, I assure you that whenever I do something, I do it to the best of my ability. And he says, all I know is what I'm seeing. And all it's doing is just lying there. And she says, oh, really? Well, that's what I'm going to be doing in my dressing room. And the director's name is... Mark Forber. And he's one of those directors that 
is taking it too seriously. Not seeing the fun, not seeing the joy, and you have the two writers there that, I don't know, are like Sisberg and Ebert, you know, talking to each other. You know, we wrote a comedy. I wonder when we're going to see the funny stuff. So, um, Rita goes off to her dressing room to lie down off screen. Then the director wants Patty to practice her number. Thanks, but I've been there. And, uh, he says, and try to be on key. And she goes, I thought I was. And he says, and try not to to push the temple or something to that effect. And, and he goes up to her and says, you're doing good. You just need to work on this one number or whatever, something like that. But he's really mean. And um, she begins to sing. And it's so beautiful. She sings like, uh, thanks, but I've been there. Thanks, but I'm somewhere. And I don't know if this was written specifically for her, specifically for this episode, if it's actually from something. I don't know. There's no information that I could find, but it, it's a really good song. Unfortunately, it gets interrupted by a scene between Rita and Barry backstage. Barry says, Well, Mother, do you want me to fire him? I will if you want me to. Rita says, No, he's the best that we can afford. Damn it. So we have to keep him. No big deal. No big loss. We just have to do this. And she's, and he says, all right. And she goes, I just wish he would stop riding poor Patty. And he says, well, I wish he'd stop riding you. And she says, oh, I'm fine. You don't have to worry about me. Later that night, Jessica arrives via her hotel and is about to go to her room when Grady tracks her down. He insists that she go that night to the restaurant with him because Rita is having dinner and insists upon meeting Jessica. And he also wants her to meet the backer of the Broadway play, Cy. When she says no, she's tired and she doesn't really want to go, he says, but if you don't go... She's going to be mad at me and I could be fired. He also introduces Mrs. Fletcher to Kate, who really has nothing to do other than to be Grady's love interest. And is apparently the understudy of Patty's character in the show, but that's about it. And, uh... So... So she decides to go there that night. The backer's name is Sal Parrish. He apparently has never um, invested in a Broadway show before. And I never understood this scene. I mean, even though Patty, I mean, I'm sorry, Rita insists that Jessica be there. Jessica is put at the end of the table away from Rita to where she can barely even talk to her, let alone meet her. Well, Sal recognizes Mrs. recognizes Mrs. Fletcher right away and is and says, "You are a charm, charming writer." And uh, the writers of the play of the musical of the play, whatever it is, um, I don't know their names. They're not important to the story. Are like writer. Nobody said that they were they were going to be another writer, and uh, he said, "Relax." She writes romance novels, I think. And Rita says, "Uh, no, she does not. She what she does 
with her books, I can't accomplish on stage. And, she, and uh, Jessica says, well, I don't know about all that. And Rita says she writes mystery novels. And they said, oh. And she says, and we don't do false modesty at this table. And the director mumbles under his breath, just false intentions. Or false pretenses or something like that. Well, Barry has a speech to make. He gets up and he says that his sister is going to be the next great star of Broadway alongside his mother. And that they're going to skip previews in Boston and go right to Broadway in two weeks. Everyone seems excited about this except for the director. And Cy tells him that he's running the show tonight and that he needs to keep his mouth shut because he is not going to tolerate him ruining this evening for them. And I swear I've seen this set before. But, you know, they constantly redress sets on different shows, so it's possible I've seen it somewhere before. But anyway, dinner is over, and it's time for everyone to go home. Sai insists upon taking Mrs. Fletcher and Grady in his limo to her respected hotel. And he also offers Patty a ride, but Barry says his car is in the garage just through the alleyway. There's a boy um, called, called Carlo and a blind man saying, If you ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. I don't exactly know what this old man is talking about. Um, I guess he's talking about sin. Something like that. And then Carlo is doing the card game, you know, watch the lady pick the card. If you get the card, you get money or whatever. And they go into this alley way to go to the car. The man sticks out his gun and says, Give me your jewels, lady. But before Patty can react or say a word or even give him anything, her purse, her wallet, her jewels or anything, he shoots her. And then Barry gets out his gun and shoots the, the other shooter, the robber. And the Carlo boy runs away. And that's that. Barry is later at the police station with our lieutenant, who is even odder than the one in Capital Events, if that's at all possible. They don't ever really say his name, but he's credited as Sergeant Morone, Morono, Morone, something to that effect. And throughout the whole entire episode he doesn't seem like he's trying to solve this like he's eating carrots he's doing stomach muscles or stomach crunches or something i don't even know i mean makes no sense to me he's yet again one of those detectives that oppose mrs Fletcher at every turn doesn't want her help Refuses to listen to reason. He's annoying. Plain and simple. He tells Barry that he is basically a hero. He says that of that night alone, there were 24 different muggings and shootings. And Patty might be one of the lucky ones. And that the rest of them might not be so lucky because they were shot or not shot. And he even goes as far as to thank Barry for 
taking out, you know, one less mugger that he has to deal with on the street. Barry's free to go. He gets off with absolutely nothing. Which is not surprising at all. But Mrs. Fletcher thinks that there's something fishy about this and even you as the audience know the fact that the guy just shoots and doesn't get anything. Like, doesn't get jewelry, doesn't get her wallet, doesn't get, you know, her purse or anything and just shoots her makes absolutely no sense. When the blind man is telling his story, Mrs. Fletcher decides that she must investigate this. She has to find the the other witness that ran away. When she talks to the detective, he is no help whatsoever. He tells her the case is closed. There's no reason to investigate and to leave it alone. But she decides to track him down. She ends up finding another another girl who does the same game that Carlo does and she says can you find this guy which his name isn't Carlo it's a different name I'm so sorry um I don't think he's credited okay yeah Tiki Tarky but I like Carlo better we're just gonna call him Carlo okay because Tiki is just a really weird uh, name. But she gives the girl, whose name I don't know, $100 and rips it in half and says, if she can find Carlo, she can have the other half of the $100 and they can do whatever they want with it. Her and Carlo go to a lunch spot and he puts jalapenos on a sandwich for her and she eats it and it's very hot and she says oh wow we don't have stuff like this in Cabot Cove and she gets a glass of water and he says I had to run because I would have been arrested regardless even though I didn't do nothing I wasn't supposed to be there didn't have a permit or something he said, but it was really weird. And she and she said, in what way? Like he was an amateur or something. He asked for her jewels and then he shot her. She didn't have time to say anything. And when the gun stopped fly, started flying, I got my tail out of there. She tells him thank you and that's it. She tells the detective what what Carlo told her so still he's not convinced he shows her the picture of the mugger later that night she is still baffled Patty is okay um she's in critical condition but she's going to make it and the show is up in arms at this point, and they're not sure what they're going to do. And it turns out that Jessica's at home, and there's an old movie playing, and it turns out that the mugger is an actor in that movie. Jessica then finds that movie at a video store. Man, I miss Blockbuster. I miss those. I miss those stores. I miss the places where you could rent movies. Yes, I miss those places. Those are were my favorite to go as a kid. And I just miss it. Because it's, it's not the same when you go to your local library. You had like more than two or three days before you had to take it back at Blockbuster. But she takes it to the lieutenant, 
And she ends up pausing it when he comes on screen. She says, there, there he is. That's the mugger. And the mugger's name and the actor's name in that is, uh, oh, Well, unfortunately, uh, he's not credited. But I think his name is Mark or Mac something. But anyway, he was an actor. No wonder he was an amateur. And this still doesn't get the lieutenant to basically start investigating this case. Meanwhile, Rita invites Jessica over to her house. And she tells Jessica that her whole career ended because of alcohol. That she was an alcoholic and she lost everything. And she's holding a bottle that hasn't been open, that she's had for 30 years. And she's wondering if she should open it and if she should drink it they go she says well you don't need me to tell you that you don't need me to give you permission or tell you not to do it she was like are you sure you don't want like a friend like a somebody here that you know and you can trust and she says there is nobody it's funny When you're on top, you have all kinds of friends. But when you hit bottom, they all seem to go away. And I find that, like, I find that amazing. So then they go to the hospital to visit Patty. And the doctor says that she is fine. There's been no paralysis. She can walk. And do her normal stuff, but it will take her a while before she can sing and dance. And she says, Doctor, do you have any idea that that does not matter so much to me right now? And she says, can I please see her? And she says, yes. So they see her off screen and Patty apparently tells her, I want you to go on Mama. Meanwhile, the show is in dire straits. So our wonderful, sympathetic director... And I'm being sarcastic when I say that. Brings in an understudy for Patty in the form of Lonnie Valerina. Who's apparently in this universe a famous actress. Barry is not so sure that he should do this. But since Patty insisted to Rita that the show must go on. He reluctantly agrees. If it's in the best interest of the show, he doesn't want the show to fail because if the show fails, they lose their money. It's at this moment that Grady has discovered an inconsistency in the books concerning Mr. Sal. But Mr. Sal, nor Barry, wants to listen to him, so he ends up telling Jessica. Apparently, Mr. Sal is trying to pull Mr. Parrish is trying to pull a springtime for Hitler thing. You know, like hoping the show will be a flop so he won't have so that, you know, it's better to have a flop than a success on Broadway like the producers And Grady discovers it. But Jessica has not let it go that the, that Patty being shot was not a coincidence and not some random mugger. So she ends up tracking down his agent, Lou Fieldman, played by Milton Burney. And he gives her his address and he says that he was just 
a poor celeb who really didn't get a big break in Hollywood or in New York. And a lot of people don't. And Rita even told Mrs. Fletcher, you know, that she was hoping this would be a success for Barry because Barry has had a lot of bad breaks on Broadway and in television. Um, so, fame clearly isn't everything. Yes, I'm quoting Snape from Harry Potter. <laughs> but anyway, Jessica goes to the mugger's house and meets his landlord. She says, he kept talking about an angel, some guy who was going to support his play. It doesn't make sense that he would mug somebody. We're all thespians here. We're all actors, waiting for our big break to come. Why in the world would he be mugging someone, let alone murder someone? And Jessica says, I don't know. Grady ends up getting the list of credits from the former actor's agent. And when Jessica sees something on it, she has her epiphany. She says she has to get to Rita's apartment right away. She's in danger. They arrive at her apartment and they get in. And it seems that the whole bottle of alcohol is gone, as well as barbiturates. And the oven door is open. It appears that Rita has attempted suicide. This comes also after a scene where Rita gets angry that it seems that Patty's part has gotten bigger since Lonnie took over. And she thinks that it was a conspiracy to get Patty out, that something is going wrong. But no one confirms nor denies this. At the hospital, after Rita's unfortunate accident, it seems that everything is not so great. Patty is blaming herself, saying that she insisted her mother go on. Barry is also saying that it was too much for her, the trauma, the pain, everything in between. And it seems that Jessica has something up her sleeve. She's acting kind of strange. She goes to the cafeteria and Barry is called to the to the main floor and then we find ourselves back in Rita's apartment and it's revealed that she is dead as Jessica sits there and talks to Barry it's painfully obvious what's about to happen but no matter how many times I've seen this episode it's still shocking I mean, the acting from this actor is phenomenal in this scene. And of course, from Angela Lansbury as well. She basically tells Barry that it was no coincidence that, uh, with the robbery with Patty. Barry hired him because he starred in a few failed pilot for television shows in Hollywood. And... He promised him that he would produce his play. Of course, he obviously had no idea that Barry was going to kill him as part of the deal of him robbing his sister. Barry keeps insisting that it's not true. She even accuses him of drugging the coffee pot. Rita always kept a coffee pot going. But she never cooked. The coffee pot was empty, Mrs. Fletcher noticed. So, so the coffee was drugged with the barbiturates because she never took them voluntarily as well as with alcohol. Staged to make it look like suicide, Barry wanted his mother's money and his sister's share too. So he knew one of them had to die. He keeps insisting that it's not true. And Mrs. Fletcher says 
Barry, why are you lying to me? You know that it's true. And she's being condescending slash nurturing. And and she is backing up to him. And then he crashes everything off the mantle and says, You're making me feel like nothing. I won't feel like nothing again. Then he looks at Rita's picture above the mantelpiece and he says, There's not a moment that I haven't wished she were dead. Do you know what it's like to be Rita Bristol's little boy? No one knew who I was. No one would take me seriously. But no one knows what she was like when she was drunk. Oh, she was absolutely horrible. I never could get anything, no projects off the ground, because I was Rita Bristol's son. I had to do it. I had to do it. She didn't even recognize that I was alive. It was always about my sister Patty. How talented she was. How great she was. No one cared about me. According to my mother, I had no talents, which she constantly pointed out to me. So I killed her. She deserved it. She never loved me. And what's one more murder? And he goes to grab Jessica. But just then, another shocking twist. Rita is not dead. She is alive. She did not die after all. Jessica convinced the hospital staff and the lieutenant and everyone else involved to pretend like Rita had died. Barry cannot believe that his mother is actually alive. Barry says, Mother, you're alive. How is it possible? Jessica convinced me to do this. I was hoping that she'd be wrong. Oh, Barry, how could you not know that I did love you? And he says, Oh, Mother, and starts crying, collapses in her arms. And I'm assuming he goes to jail because then, and Patty recovers quite nicely because the next thing, Jessica is back in Cabot Cove and uh, Rita and Patty are out on stage finishing up their Broadway run. And according to the trivia on IMDb, which says this, The climax of this episode was to conclude a featured musical production number with guest star Vivian Blaine, surrounded by a chorus of male and female dancers. Hollywood's most famous choreographer, Marion Nelson, rehearsed the dancers with a cursade of balloon shafts as part of the choreographed finale. The film sequence, because of timing, ended on the editing room floor. Instead, Grady, Jessica's nephew, is on a telephone in the theater. Stage right rings on a telephone with Jessica, who is sitting in her Cabot Cove kitchen. And the ending scene clips over Grady's left shoulder, standing in the right side wings. A glimpse of the stage musical's finale is viewed as dancers depart opposite stage left with the shafts of balloons, concluding the epic edited-out finale. And I can honestly say I don't think that it needed it. Um, also, Grady is no longer with Kate. He's now with Francesca, which I don't think we meet her. 
And this this episode also inspired the meme where she has that laugh and she's holding the phone and she has that weird like facial expression where hello who's dead you know <laughs> so all's well that ends well i guess the show must go on barry is sent to jail possibly for murder of the actor that he shot but nor patty nor rita actually died this is considered one of the episodes where no one actually gets murdered but you can't count that in because you have to count the former actor who barry does in fact shoot one could call that murder because all he was all's I bet you, since we know this happened off screen, this conversation between them, Barry didn't tell him that he was going to shoot him. I'm pretty sure because he wouldn't have agreed to it, you know, if he was going to die in the end. But Barry knew exactly what he was doing. And this episode fascinates me because it's like every, it's like the acting from the actor that plays Barry is just fantastic. That line there's not a moment where I have not wished her dead is so profound and so out there. I think that someone's car that they really need to fix and I apologize. But anyway, like it is amazing acting by Andrew Lansbury and Greg Henry in this episode. He will appear in several other episodes. Let's go over the guest stars, by the way. I recognize the director, but I'm not sure about the other ones. But this was apparently um... Vivian Blaine's last role before she retired. Milton Burney played the agent of the mugger. He passed away in 2002 at the age of 93. He's known for It's a Mad Mad World. I love that movie. The Muffet Movie, The Milton Burley Show. And the loved one. His last known credit is Keenan and Kale. Two heads are better than one in 2000 as Uncle Leo. He guest starred on Sister Sister, Roseanne, The Nanny, Beverly Hills 90210, Blake's Law, Madlock, The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. The Love Boat. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He guest starred on the TV show Fame. Give me a break. Loved, loved Nell Carter. Different Strokes, Fantasy Island, American Playhouse, Chips. The Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Here's Lucy. Journey Back to Oz. Cartoon. McLeod. Mod Squad. Love American Style. Make Room for Granddaddy. Okay, I didn't know that was a TV show. Where Angels Go, Trouble Follows. Get Smart. Batman, the original series, The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, Red Skeleton Hour, Dream of, I Dream of Genie, The Lucy Show, The Jack Benny Program, Craft Suspense Theater, so he, he had a long career and he's really funny. He was a really funny dude. He was in 110 credits. I hope he's at peace now.
Vivian Blaine played Rita Bristol. This, I think, was her last role before she retired, and she died in 1995 at the age of 74. She is known for the original Guys and Dolls, 1955, State Fair, 1945, Dollface, 1945, and Jitterbugs, 1943, with Laurel and Harley. This is her last credit as murder in Murder, She Wrote, as Rita Bristol. And she guest starred in a TV show called Amanda's, which was a show that Bea Arthur did before The Golden Girls and after Maude. It's really funny. You should look it up. It's on YouTube. She guest starred on The Love Boat, um, Fantasy Island, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which is a weird show. And the movie that they were watching in the in the opening scene was Three Little Girls in Blue, and she played Liz Carters. She was in a lot of MGM musicals. She was in 40 different things. She was really talented in this. She deserved an Emmy Award. So did the actor who played Bear, Bear, Barry. Sorry, Barry. Elaine Garlos played Lonnie, Lonnie, who takes over the show when Patty gets injured. She's known for everything you've always Wanted to know about sex, but was afraid to ask. Angel, gas, or it became necessary to destroy the world in order to save it. And Magnum P.I. Her last known credit is 2002's television series Family Law, which was really good. She also guest starred on Ellie McBeal. She was in the TV miniseries War of the Worlds, Tales of the Unexpected. This is her only episode where she wrote Knight Rider, Trapper John M.D. Angel apparently was a cult classic movie in 1983. Three's Company, Magnum P.I., the original Hawaii Five O, Barney Miller, Quincy M.D., M.E., The Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, Marcus Welby, M.D., Kojak, The Night Stalker, The New Perry Mason, The Partridge Family, Love American Style, Bob Newhart Show, My Three Sons, and her first credit was I Dream of Jeannie, and her second was Bonanza. So she was really good. She didn't get much to do in this episode, but she was good. And I know Greg Henry makes a bunch of different appearances, but I'll just tell you what he's known for. He's still alive and kicking and doing a really fantastic job. He's a good actor. He's known for Guardians of the Galaxy. Payback, 1999. Star Trek, Insurrection, and horror film called S-L-I-T-H-E-R. I can't pronounce it, sorry. His last known credit currently right now is Blade Runner, Black Lotus. He's been in 178 different projects. He is currently on Law & Order Organized Crime as well. And I've just started watching um, Chicago Med, and he's on there, too. Yep, as Dr. David Downey. But let's see. Uh, he's been on so many different things. Like, he was even on Glee. And Gilmore Girls.
Yeah, he will appear in seven episodes of Murder, She Wrote throughout the 12 season run. His next appearance will be Death Stalks the Big Top. So I have to remember that. And Michael Horton, of course, played Grady, but we're not going to go over over him because he's going to appear in so many different ones. We have Lorna Lunt as Patty Bristol. As I said before, she is known for Grease 2 as Paulette. She was also in 54, Where the Boys Are, and Life with Judy Garland. Me and My Shadows, Life with Judy Garland. Her last known credit in acting is Sean Saves the World. She was on Caroline in the City. I love that. The Nanny. Oh, and she'll be in another episode of Murder, She Wrote, so we'll go over more of those later. Robert Moores played the role of the director who was annoying. And I think I recognized him from How to Succeed in Business Not Really Trying, the musical uh, film adaptation. He was also on Mad Men, the TV show, American Playhouse, and also he starred in The Loved One. He is still alive, and he, his last known credit, is Teen Titans Go as the voice of Santa Claus. Okay. He gets started on American Crime Story. Um, did some voiceover work for Superman, the animated series, All Real Monsters, Tiny Toon Adventures. He was in the Twilight Zone. This is his only actor of uh, only acting credit for Murder She Wrote. He was also in Trapper John M.D., The Dukes of Hazard, Masquerade, One Day at a Time, All My Children, Harry the Bookie, okay? He did voice work for the movie Jack Frost that came out in 1979 that was part of the Christmas specials that we love, like Rudolph and, and uh, Santa Claus has come to town, stuff like that. He was on Fantasy Island, The First Easter Rabbit, Love American Style, Night Gallery. Shirley Temple's Storybook, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So he was good. It was just a lousy part for him. Patrick O'Neill played the corrupted Broadway backer who wanted it to fail. He passed away at the in 1994 at the age of 66. He's known for Under Siege, the, the original Stefford Wives from 1975, In Harm's Way, and The Way We Were. His last known credit is a TV movie called Perry Mason, The Case of the Skin Deep Scandal. And, of course, in 1992, Under Siege as Captain Adams. He got started on Hotel. This is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Tales of the Unexpected. Columbo. Barnaby Jones. The Streets of San Francisco. The Wild World of Mystery. The, he played George Bannister in The Way We Were. The Doris Day Show, McLeod, Silent Night, Bloody Night, the movie. Marcus Welby, MD, Night Gallery. 
Bob Hope presents the Chrysler Theater, Outer Limits, the original, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Route 66, the 11th Hour, Diagnosis Unknown, The Millionaire, Dick and the Duchess, uh, okay, but the Pepsi Cola Playhouse, so many different things, 120 different things. Good for you, Mr. O'Neill. May you rest in peace. Gregory Serrera played the role of our annoying lieutenant. Oh. He died on January 4th of 2021. I did not know that. He is known for The Towering Inferno as Carlos. Oh yeah, that's where I recognized him from. He tends the bar. Um, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, John Carpenter's va- Vampires, and Barney Miller. As the sergeant, I recognized him from that too. I couldn't place him though. You know when you're sitting there and you keep thinking, I know this person. I know who that is. But you can't remember it? Yeah, this is one of those times. His last known credit is The Other Side of the Wind. He's been in 127 different things. He guest starred on Ellen's sitcom. He was on Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, wow. He will make over six appearances in Murder, She Wrote. His next one will be Murder Through the Looking Glass. I have to remember that. So we'll go over more of his credentials later. And, um, Barbara Winningly played, uh, Gretchen. That was the card girl, I think. She's known for Saint Elsewhere. True Blood, The Killing of Two Lovers, and ER. I love ER. They just added it um, to uh, HBO Max. Her last known credit is The Wolf of, Sh- of Snow Hollow. She was on the, the soap opera Sunset Beach. ER as Mrs. Dapper, so I'll be looking for her. Diagnosis Murder. Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, Days of Our Lives as Nancy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Mrs. Anderson. Okay, I don't remember her. Madlock, Seeds of Tragedy, Dynasty, the original Dynasty, St. Elsewhere's Dr. Kathy Martin. And this is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. And Sharan Gregory played the role of Grady's love interest. She's known for The Joy of Sex, 1984, The Fall Guy, 1995, Mass Appeal, 1994, and Alice in Wonderland, 1985 miniseries. Her last known credit is doing uh, voiceover work for a video game called Citizen X. She was in the new Mike Hammer show. This is her only episode of Murder, She Wrote. And she was on The Jeffersons and in two TV movies called Gone Are the Days. She only has 13 credits to her name. And that's about it. That's all there is. Okay. Like I said, this episode was my favorite. And if you are a fan of Judy Garland. I encourage you to read Me and My Shadows, My Life with Judy Garland. If you ever wanted to know all there is to know about Judy Garland, and also listen to Luna Lutz sing in her album Songs My My Mother Taught Me. It's really fascinating. And this was one of my favorite episodes of season one, and I really, really love it. The next episode, we find ourselves in New Orleans. 
um, where there is a murder of a famous clarinet player during a during a jazz performance. It's a really good episode. All right. Anyway, guys, I promise I will post more episodes. I've had technical difficulties and also had some a little bit of health problems, not COVID related, just um, just the weather's been messing me up. I have allergies and different things like that. My voice is probably not up to par just yet, but we're getting there. And I'll see you in the next one. Happy crime solving and stay safe out there. Also, um, I learned of the passing of Academy Award winning actor Sidney Portier and comedian Bob Saget from Full House. I don't think either one ever made Murder, She Wrote guest appearances, but my thoughts and prayers go to their families, and I'm so sorry about those two losses. Alright, anyway, have a great day and night, depending on whenever you listen to this, and I will see you in the next one. Bye now.